0: of us and that and uh, I think just as we have physical rowing why not spiritual that God would pour out upon our city and upon our church and just see more of God and his love and God touching lives you know our goal and our vision and our focus is really simple in our church is to love God just to love God to love people because I think out of our loving of God there comes a natural desire says to love of our fellow man you know this morning you can do that in the service afterwards we invite you just to connect and after the service and have morning tea with us that'd be brilliant and uh, you could just love someone maybe this morning and then you know the third part of it is not just love god but and not just to love what people but to love life and we just say it together it's just to love god to love people and i think out of that we'll love life because i think it can really shine life can really shine when we just love god And I think people can say, what is it about you that's just so different? And we could say, well, you know, to be honest, no one's ever actually said that to me. (laughs) But I think that's because sometimes people aren't in the habit of saying it, but sometimes people might think it. And I think that, uh, would our life be so attractive that people would say, yeah, there's something there. And we could say it's God in us. Welcome this morning. We're just going to take, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings today as an act of our part, ongoing worship to God this morning. I wanted to read to you, I invite those who are taking up the offering just to come and stand with me this morning. There's a passage in the very last book of the Bible that all of us, well, most of us would be very much aware of, and Malachi is the last book of the, not the Bible, but the Old Testament, and Malachi 3.10 says, and 11 says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse, There may be food in my house, and try me in now, and this says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And will I not rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground? That's a passage we know. It's a passage that I remind myself about this morning, because it simply says that, you know, to bring the tithe into the storehouse. And a storehouse is where you're fed, it's where you're encouraged spiritually, it's where you're blessed, you know. All the other stuff is offerings that we give, you know, whether it's the children overseas that we give to, but a tithe is here in the storehouse, at least. And, and you know, I was just contemplating that again this morning, and I have been so thankful that as I've continued to give, that God has applied this principle to my life. I've actually applied it by giving, that he has rebuked the devourer, he's provided for me over many years and just been my in- continual provision. 2013, I uh, who knows as a dad to pay for a wedding costs a bit of money? I need three of us. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> oh, okay. All the rest of you must have just not a problem, but yeah. In 2013, I had the privilege and the joy of not just seeing one daughter married, but two. And, you know, at the start of that year, Michelle and I committed ourselves to God's economy and not the world's economy because we didn't have the money. You know, um, I was on one wage and I am thankful for the wage that I'm on. That's fine. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, naturally speaking, we were saying, God, we were claiming Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. We just get a, a continue to give in tithes and offerings. And God, we just need provision, not for ourselves, but but as a dad, I want to give the very best weddings I can to my daughters. Every dad's like that. Give the very best they can for their daughters. And, and you know, they decided that in one year they're both going to get married, which is not a problem. It's just, I realized there was a miracle needed. And so we committed to God in prayer and said, God, you're just going to have to be our provision in this. And and, uh, and we can just trust you. And you know, I was, because it costs um, many thousands of dollars for a wedding. Would you agree? Yes. You know, it wasn't extravagant, but it was thousands. And uh, one day a, a person walked up to me as we'd been committing in prayer and they gave me a box. And I thought, oh, it's nice, a little box. And they said, open it. And I opened there was a little note inside, and it just simply said the words, I hope this helps. And under the note, I was excited about the note, but I was excited about what was under it, because there was $2,000 worth of $100 bills. And, you know, was $2,000 enough to pay for two weddings? No. But was it enough to pay for the next bill that came in? Yes. And then more came in and it paid for the next bill, and the next bill, and the next bill. And before we knew it, we got to the end of August and two weddings had been paid for. And I was excited. It was just a brilliant year. Two great young men in my life at last after three daughters. And I just want to say God is faithful. Do we give to get? No, but we, we can be assured that God will provide. And I just want to say, would you do what Malachi 3, 10, 11 says? Would you test him today? What, to give to this church so we can have more? No. Well, yeah. So we can do God's work, but know that God would just prove himself to you. He's an incredible provision. He'll never give you just a splurge in yourself, but he'll give it so you can be a blessing. So how about we stand this morning and let's give. It's an opportunity. I've given electronically already. If you've ever wondered why you never see me often put my hand in the bag, and put money in, it's because I'm always giving electronically. <laughs> it's just an easy thing to do. But today, for those who haven't, you may have money in your hand. Can we just hold in our hand and pray? If it's electronic giving, just believe it's in you. you've already given. Father, we thank you today for the privilege. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, that we could serve an incredible great God that we've been singing about this morning. And we thank you for the privilege of testing you in such a simple truth that you would pour into us and provide for us and look after us as we give faithfully. And we thank you this morning for the opportunity to do that. Multiply what we give, extend your kingdom, and even give back to us so we can be greater givers, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said? Come on, let's take up this morning's tithes and offerings. Fantastic. Thank you, everybody, this morning giving thank you the god's just good isn't he great thanks dale that's giving word of god just says if you give a cup of cold water in jesus name it's like you give it to him i'm not i'm no jesus this morning but (laughs) you may take your seats i just want to release all the young people yps to the discipleship class ben and naomi we will be looking after that and taking it this morning. So all those um, 12 and 13 year olds, have a great morning. I started a little series in, uh, last week, and it focused on the incredible story of Joseph and um, his life story. I reckon... Um, There's a show on telly called Australian Story. I reckon if Joseph lived, he would be a brilliant one to put on that, wouldn't he? Joseph, um, 60 Minutes crew could do a big story on him. Mightn't get themselves in so much trouble. (laughs) But Joseph from Genesis, it's the very first book of the Bible. Genesis 37 to chapter 50, from chapter 37 to 50 tells his story. I wanted to just start, not with um, Joseph's story, but I want to start with another great story this morning. So, Edmund Hillary is a name that hopefully most of us would recognize. For all New Zealanders, you should recognize him. And all the New Zealanders said... (laughs) Amen. Oh, any of the New Zealanders listening? Yeah. Well... So Edmund Hillary was a great mountaineer, obviously, and um, you may uh, realise that before he conquered Mount Everest, he did fail. And after he came back from his very first time of failing to climb Mount Everest, because no one had ever done it, no one had ever achieved that a goal of climbing this, the tallest mountain in the world, he came back to his hometown in New Zealand, and he had a whole group of supporters and people there, and. And he confidently declared that he would succeed in climbing Mount, Mount Everest. He confidently declared it. He was over the top in his confidence and everyone was a little bit bewildered by his confidence because they just realized he just failed, not just more than you know, three or four days ago, he'd failed to climb Mount Everest. And now in the early 50s, he's come back and he's declared, I'm going to climb Mount Everest and possibly will be the very first people to climb it. And they looked at him in a little bewildered and Hillary turned to the painting of Mount Everest that was behind him on the wall of this particular little auditorium with all these people there because they were wanting to hear about his adventures. And he pointed to the painting and he says, I want you to understand that I will succeed in climbing this mountain. And the reason I'll succeed is because Mount Everest can't get any bigger, but I can. And I thought, what a great line. Everest can't get any bigger, but I can. And the truth of the matter, Hillary, uh, Sir Edmund Hillary understood the key to success was not about to find the successful, be successful was not finding a smaller mountain. It was becoming a bigger person. And this morning, I believe the Lord would just declare that to you today: that He doesn't. You don't. Success for us this morning is not finding a smaller problem. It's dealing with the ones you got right now, and because those and and realizing that you just need to become a bigger person, a bigger person, and all that God's got for you and the incredible future that He's got. We sang it about that this morning. Through the fire, we will breathe in through the situations, and our God is bigger. and And I love those songs, but you know, I find it easy to sing it on Sunday, but sometimes a little more difficult to live it on Monday. I just want to be honest. Is that okay? And I've discovered that becoming bigger is not just singing it on Sunday, but living it on Monday through to to Saturday as well. And saying, God, I'm going to become bigger. Uh, This situation will not conquer me. I'm going to conquer it because my situation cannot get any bigger, but by God, I can in my God. Joseph, uh, of course, was a young man. Who grew up and he, did, he found out the truth if, uh, he, if Sir Edmund Hillary and him were lived in the same decade, um, they would have been great mates uh, because Joseph uh, through all those chapters through 37 to 50 we read his story. Um, of course he was 12, 12 um, brother he was 12, one of 12 brothers. he was the second youngest. his father loved him with a passion his uh, 10 of his brothers hated him with a passion talk about a confused family Uh, maybe you feel that way sometimes with your family Um, brothers later betrayed him and uh, sold him into slavery as most of us would know and then of course it went from there he was thrown in prison unjustly and so he had 13 dark years from the moment he was sold as a 17-year-old into slavery until the moment he came out of jail as a 30-year-old, he had some dark years. He had some mountains he had to climb. And I'm glad Joseph decided that he would, uh, he would take up that simple thought of Edmund Hillary, and that was, that I'm the mountain can't get any bigger. I can't get any, this problem can't get any bigger the jail can't get any deeper, the betrayal can't get any worse, the unjust fair treatment can't get any worse, but I can get bigger. And uh, Joseph lived by that mantra. Joseph's father eventually dies. His name was Jacob. And we see then the response of Joseph's 11 brothers. And their response was to Joseph, that they were concerned that one day, Joseph would seek revenge on them and they thought once their father is out of the road, that may be the catalyst for Joseph then to seek revenge and get back at them for what he, he had actually they had done to him. And not just 13 years ago, but by, by this stage in Genesis chapter 50, we're going to read in a moment, it wasn't just 13 years ago, it was 30 years later, or around 30 years later. And the brothers are concerned about what Joseph thinks of them. So can we just um, look at this passage in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 22, and i read this scripture to you. And we'll put it up on the screen there as well. Genesis 50. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which he did to him, uh, we did to him. So they sent messages to Joseph, because remember, Joseph now has um, succeeded. He is the second in charge of all of Egypt. And his brothers are living in the area with him. And so Joseph's saying... uh, So they sent messages to Joseph, verse 16. Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers in their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did he weep? Because Joseph had no intention of seeking revenge on his brothers. Verse 18, And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for for am I, This is a great statement, For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so Joseph dwelt in Egypt and his father's household also, and Joseph lived 110 years. Brilliant. Joseph, Joseph's commitment of faith... To the Lord was obvious throughout his lifetime. To say to his brothers, right here in this instance, am I in the place of God, reflects the reality of what Joseph continually thought. And Joseph continually thought this, and continually reflected this throughout his lifetime, that he was not God, He never supposed to be God. And even more importantly, he never supposed to take the position of God. And in fact, he always showed us clearly that it was not his ability, but it was God in him that made all the difference. Do you remember the time when people came to Joseph and even in the prison and had these dreams? And they came to Joseph and, and Joseph interpreted them And they came to Joseph and they said, we heard, can you interpret dreams? And Joseph says, no, I cannot interpret dreams, but my God can interpret dreams. And my God is the one who will tell me what the dream is all about, and I can then tell you. How's that sound? They said, brilliant. Can you see, even in that, that situation in jail, in prison, Joseph is not pointing to himself. He's pointing that he has no ability, but God has the ability that his faith was continually in his heavenly father. Um, and perhaps the greatest reminder of his faith was this instance in Genesis chapter 50, where his brothers, after around 30 years of wondering when, if, when their father's out of the road and died, will Joseph then take that opportunity to seek revenge on us? But Joseph reassures them and says to them, you, even in the midst of what you did for me... God has his eternal purpose unfolding for me. Even in the midst of your evil against me, God was in control. And it's not that even God was in control that was so important. It was that Joseph knew God was in control that was important. Can you see the difference? Because it's easy to say, oh, God's in control of my life. But when you're in the jail, in the darkness, can you then say, God is in control still? That is an incredible uh, picture of faith, and Joseph displayed that in jail time and time again. And the statement says here: He says, am for?" He says to his brothers, "For uh, am I in the place of God?" In other words, can I do what God can do? No. Joseph never highlighted himself. He never promoted himself. He always was promoting God. Joseph never sought to be what he wasn't. He says, I've got no ability to interpret dreams. God has the ability. And if there's a, and I want to tell you what the strength of Joseph was this morning. It was his faith in God, but his strength was not to interpret dreams. His strength was to hear what God said. I want to tell you, you think, well, how can I, how can I ever do all these things, these amazing things? You don't have to. You just need to sometimes hear what God wants you to do and do it. And that's the strength of Joseph's life. He was able to hear God. He didn't have the ability to do what God did. He just could hear what God was saying. And that's a reflection of his walk and his faith and his trust in his heavenly father. I love that. See, we can find that every challenge and every problem, uh, well, every challenge and every problem Joseph had to face I am continually encouraged by the fact that every problem, every challenge, every issue that happened in his life had to bow before Joseph because of the faith that he he held on in God. And when you think about it, one of the problems he had was his brothers and ultimately they bowed to him. And not that Joseph saw them as a problem anymore, but they did bow to him, didn't they? And I want to tell you, when faith you are, faith in your Heavenly Father in the dark times, of the present times, or whatever you're facing, and the challenges of life, faith in your Heavenly Father will make every problem you face bow to your faith. It'll make every problem bow, because not to you, <clears throat> but to the faith you have in a Heavenly Father that problem will have to bow. And it may take a week or two weeks or two years. I don't know. For Joseph, it was a 13 years of darkness, but it did bow. And I want to tell you, if Joseph didn't believe it in the dark times, there was no way he was ever going to believe it in the good. So when you believe it in the darkest of times, there is a day coming of reckoning when that problem will have to bow. And Joseph discovered it. So Edmund Hillary discovered that the mountain had to bow to him, not because the mountain got bigger, it's because he got bigger. I want to ask you the question this morning, how do you get bigger? I want to say, ask you this morning, why did, the, did uh, they, these men uh, succeed in life? And, the, and I want to say this morning, come on, how can we become larger than the struggle or the challenge? How can we stop knocking our head against the wall, going around the mountain, whatever analogy you want to put on it this morning, facing that problem again and again and again? How can we uh, you know, just back up and say, God, there's got to come a way out? I want to share with you from Scripture this morning that, that God has an incredible plan and purpose. Here is a verse that I believe Joseph, and if Sir Edmund Hillary was a Christian... I don't know if he was, uh, but he would. They would have had framed and placed upon their the wall of their bedroom. And here's the verse I want to share in one John four four. It says um, about us, "You are God." This is this is John writing his little letter. He only had four, five chapters. Forgive me. Anyway, it didn't have too many chapters, but it was, this is a profound thought there in 1 John 4.4. 4. It says, you are of God, John says, he's talking to the Christians, little children. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I love this verse because it, because it says, you are of God. I reckon that's a great profession, a confession, About ourselves that we need to make we are of God you may say well I don't feel like I'm of God to say today but the reality is I love what John says he says you are of God in other words he's saying God has got all the possibilities in you there's incredible possibilities within you when you when you allow God to be in you you are of God And the interesting thing is, straight after he says, you're of God, it's a faith-building little statement, and then he says, little children, as if he's referring to the realities of our frailty as humans. We are of clay, aren't we, church? We are just of clay. But when you mix the two two little phrases together, you are of God, little children. So even in your frailty, even in your um, humanity, even in your mistakes, even in the struggles, even in the things that are so difficult in life, in your, because you're little children. I want you to know, John says, you are of God. And if you allow God to be in the midst of your clay, in the midst of your frailty, my goodness, the possibilities are endless. I love what Paul John is saying. Come on, It takes the frailty of our humanity, and together we can be greater than anything that comes against us. That's what it says. It says, come on, you're greater than. Greater than. You know, when I was doing mathematics in primary school and high school, I learned that there was a little sign that was greater than. Do Do you remember that? Or was it just the ancient mathematics that I did? Do they still use it today? So greater than is just, you know, it's just like this. And and the greater and you always knew it was greater than, and I'd write on my pad, four is greater than three. Because it was. And you'd use this little sign. It was one line down, came to a point, one line down. If you went the other way, it was called? Ah, oh, gee, you're with me. These are all fantastic mathematicians. That's all I remember about math. But (laughs) I do remember that. So it's interesting, the greater than sign actually is like an arrowhead. And, you know, I've discovered that there's one thing that when we say, we join with our Heavenly Father in 1 John 4, 4 and say, I am greater than anything in this world, because my heavenly Father is the force and strength, and my faith in Him makes that possible. It really is like an arrowhead that pierces every darkness, every situation, and every circumstance. Because if you're less than, and that's the way you think, and that's the way you see even your life in God, oh, God doesn't see me as, He sees me less than the best, less than, stop confessing that and if you take it that way and go backwards you're going to collect every bit of smut muck and rubbish in your life because it's like a it's like a funnel it's like a gathering tool it's not an arrowhead and you know we need to say this morning not just some positive confession because that does never cut it it needs to be by faith that we see what God says about us in 1 John 4 4 you are of God in other words all potential is available your little children frail you know of clay but the reality is, mix it together, God in you makes it you greater than anything that comes against you. And it's not just a, a cliché, folks. It's a reality about what you will live if you start to believe His Word. We have to remind ourselves sometimes every day, uh, because every day there can come words... There can come situations, there can come circumstances that appear very big in my life. And, and, and we have to remind ourselves that God is bigger than whatever happens. Joseph realized that God, uh, God in him, made all the difference. And it's not us seeking to become bigger, but God in us who becomes bigger and uh it's not about us interpreting dreams or doing the you know what we think is impossible, but God doing the impossible in us and him getting all the glory and him him working through and in our lives. I want to say your problem is not worth hanging on to this morning because our God has got much better uh much better things for you to enjoy in life if you just move forward with him. One thing. But Joseph continually heard, and it was his future was bigger than his mountain. His future was bigger than his mountain. And it kept him moving forward. He had to. And I want to say today, your future is bigger than your mountain because of our God. Not because of my ability. Not because of your ability. Not because you, you know, you can't. You, because the truth is, we can't do things. We can't do this. But our God, in God, we can. Incredible what he could do. I want to draw your attention back to that previous verse, verse 15. Um, uh, now we'll go this way. Uh, verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Now, this is an interesting thought here. Did you notice, as I said earlier, this was like 30 years later, 30 years since they had. Carried out their evil against Joseph as a 17-year-old, 30 years later, 10 brothers are still concerned that Joseph's going to get revenge on them. Folks, I don't want to live with the problem and fear of my past for 30 years. Whoa! 30 years. They needed to have a conversation with Joseph well before the 30 years was up, like about, you know, many years ago, and find out that Joseph had no intention to seek revenge on them. No intention to harm them because he could see that his God was bigger than that, and he didn't need to have a revengeful spirit upon his brothers. Um, Joseph had no passion. Um, what a terrible way to continually be living in regret, the pain of the pain of situations, or the or the fear. Of the past or the fear of the future because all those things can hold us and we never deal with their past which is quite obvious about the ten brothers of joseph they never really dealt with the issues of the past because they were too in they were too concerned about what might happen to them they were in fear of their present and their future and so they never dealt with the past um Joseph had every right to seek revenge. Joseph had every right because Joseph is an example of such contrast to his brothers. His brothers feared what might happen to him. Joseph only didn't fear anything but his heavenly father. Joseph, they thought Joseph was going to get revenge. That was the furthest thing from Joseph's mind, even though he had every right to seek revenge. He had every right to maybe say to his brothers after they bowed to him and everything else and say, I told you so. Didn't I tell you? This is a big day that was coming. He never said that to his brothers. He never said, I told you so. He didn't need to. It was past, it was dealt with, it was finished, it was in his past. That was Joseph's attitude, but his brothers, it was still very much in their mind. And I think it affected their present and their future because they get and couldn't get past the past. The reason Joseph had all the great attitude was because he could see that God was bigger than his struggles. And herein he lies the problem. We allow our past to never let us move into a better future. Because our pain and fear and regret keeps us locked into the past, and I want to tell you to get allow God. As much as God wants to be bigger in you, and God wants to take you and move you forward, you can never do it until you give Him the keys to the little door that says past. And in that, behind that door, is fear and regret and mistakes and all all these things that you wish that you just want to deal with, but you've got to let God unlock the door and clean it out. It's time to clean house. Joseph had. His brothers hadn't. I um I lived with the young man before I was married. Um I'll get that around around. <laughs> Didn't mean it that way. I I had a young man live with me <laughs> before I was married. That doesn't sound better. Anyway. <laughs> Flat, mates. Flat mates. Yeah, yeah, used to be okay. <laughs> That's a great confession. <laughs> just imagine taking that little bit and just publicizing that in the newspaper. Pastor says he lived with the young man... Anyway, I just want to tell you about my past. <laughs> anyway, he'd come to the Lord. He w- he'd come to the Lord in this church. And so I, I was, uh, I just bought a house as a 20 year old. It was just a little box on stilts for $36,000. How we wish those days were back. Anyway, um, as a 20 year old, I scraped together some deposit and bought a house. And he came, he could become to the Lord and uh, I said, move in with me, and, and I'll disciple you, and we'll, you know, we'll just, you know, for as long as it takes, and it was two years, and then I got married, so I had to ask him to move on, and he went and moved on to another house with a bunch of guys, but all the time that we lived, he lived in the house with me, I mean, he had some successes, he had some good things, he was, you know, in some areas, progressing, but there were some areas, he just, there was a roadblock in his life, and and, and it. You know, it's just sad to see the roadblock, and as we drilled down and started to talk about the realities of his life, we discovered what the roadblock is, because my precious friend, I didn't know whether he was going to be on a high or a low from one day to the next. And the reason, and his highs were incredibly high to the point where he was so full of himself, he was just downright engulfed in self, selfishness and self-satisfaction and pride, and 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 that wasn't the right emotion to have. I knew that. And then sometimes he'd be so low within twenty four hours, uh, it'd be he'd be you know, rep- you know against himself and t- talking negative about himself, and so I'm a nobody, and a- everybody hates me. And so there was this emotional roller coaster, and it kind of went on for month after month after month. And so we sought to get to the bottom of it, and I just to talk with him, we would sit at the table and we started to drill down and we discovered that as a little boy at the age of eight, one of the things he had incredible grief over that he's still grappling with was the fact that his mother, and he lived in Gladstone, died when he was eight years, or around eight years of age. And the grief within his heart for that mother that he loved so dearly and she loved him so much was just massive. Is How long has it been like that? Yeah. Just went. Oh, that's good. So, so the reality was is is he's, his his um he felt his stepmother was too harsh and, he's, and he lost his mum. And, and that created an incredible insecurity within his heart about life. And so he had this, the insecurity, so his identity was all over the place. He didn't know who he really was. And I sought to bring him back to Christ and say, Come on, God he wants to form your identity. You can't have your identity in, in a person that died many, many, this is like 15 years ago now. 15 years ago, and you're still hanging on to it, my brother. Come on, you've got to let go of that. It happened, and let's let God heal the pain. I understand the pain of losing a mother. No, I don't, but I can understand that would be painful and hurtful. And I, and, and I appreciate that you this mother's stepmother was, you know, she wasn't the wicked witch from the West, but she probably wasn't as kind as your mother, and because of that, his identity was locked in to the pain of his past. And because his identity was locked there, he, and it was all these years ago. And I thought, you've been hanging on to this for 15 years? And we we're able. he was able to start to see the reality of it. The process was still unfolding for him. Uh, even as I then got married and Michelle, he moved out and Michelle moved in. And we were married when she moved in. And um, he's still... <laughs> He still was dealing with it and I pray that he has by this point. But I want to say that I discovered something and, and I thought about it. People, if you keep keep picking the scab, it never heals. If you keep on going back to that which has been painful and you know, it never heals. At some point we have to learn to leave it alone and move on and it and it and you know and, and to say, hey, enough is enough. If I, bring, I can bring this to God and He can bring wholeness and health and, into the situation. And for many of us, I could get you up this morning and you could testify. God has brought healing in my life about those problems and mistakes and issues of the past. But maybe today there's some things that still are painful. And God would say today to us, don't pick the scab anymore because He's a loving God that wants to heal the, the sore. He wants to bring wholeness to it because it'll stop you from seeing not just a better future, but how big your God can be in your life. And it's not about you getting everything perfect. It's just about letting God, who is the perfect God, into your life. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Greater is he that wants to be in you. That means my future is bigger than whatever that disaster, that tragedy, that disappointment was or is. And so, you know, uh, we need to be careful sometimes that, that we, can, we can be going around and around and around and going over and over and over the, the, the situation again and again and again. When will we hop off the merry-go-round? Because it'll never take us into a better future until we do. Until do we do? Here's another great verse I just think is powerful. Jeremiah, um, the battery's gone. <laughs> oh, there it is. Petra is the, this is Petra. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Wow. When did we forget about that verse? Brilliant. I'm glad because we don't need to. Here is what God is saying. We can all have a reservoir of disappointments and we would all, all have a tale to tell because we all have bad and sad situations happen to us. We all have. I'm not trying to belittle any of those. I'm not even trying to put them down in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying the reality is that. But here is what God says. I want you to understand that your past does not have to determine your future. Because if it would be... And you know, my future would be determined by my past if I continued to allow it to become the greatest thing in my life. If my past is the greatest thing in my life, is the, is the hurt and the mistake and the issue is the greatest thing in my life, I want to tell you that's what my my future will look like. But I don't want it to become that because I understand God says something and He says the plans I have, you in the future are to prosper you and give you a hope in a bigger future and if I would just for a moment if and if your future is bigger than anything uh, anything that disappointment that heartache can throw at you and that mistake that you made in the past can throw at you you can have the promises of what Jeremiah 20 29 11 says he can have a better future and a hope but we've got to f- first of all see Stop looking at, gazing at, what is the past problem and start to gaze at what God's future is for us. That's what he's saying in in Jeremiah 29, 11. Your past does not have to determine your future. And I think the biggest thing here today is not for us to go belly-gazing and saying, Um, you know, the problem, this problem, this problem, but just to realize, and not just even to realize there's a problem, but to even say, to come to the revelation, I actually want God to deal with it. That's the breakthrough. That's the breakthrough. That I can come to our God and this is what He says about me? See, I've come to understand for Joseph's life, it was easy probably for him to say, you know, God meant it for good and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's, it, the, the real faith of Joseph was when he lived it out for 13 years in a prison. And, you know, we've got to live it out and still say this. And God wants you to still say this in the midst of the dark times. Because it's true. When did devil sell you a lie and say it's not true. It's not just positive thinking, it's allowing his holy Spirit to so penetrate your thought life that you renew your mind and you start to realize he has a better future. I can't do that. You can't do it to yourself. God can. I remember, in my mid-20s, I started to realize that I longed for something. And what I discovered that I was longing for was my father's approval. And that Father's approval that I sought to have, um, it spilled over into my longing for people's approval, and that people's approval manifested itself in that I would often find myself these saying these words, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, and I'd never done anything wrong. Some of you are like that today. I've got some great encouragement for you. Stop it. Because in those early years of my life, someone came up to me and said, do you realize what you're saying all the time? I said, what? And they just confronted me in a loving way, and I said, you're right, and I did. I stopped saying it. And it wasn't just the words that I was saying. It was something that come from the very depth of my heart because I always wanted to seek people's approval. And so I had to drill down on that and say, why is that the case? And as I drilled down, I realized it's because I was a people pleaser, not a God pleaser, and that's not a good way to be in life. And so as I drilled a little further, I realized it was because I needed my father's affirmation, my earthly father's affirmation, and I never got it at the very formidable years between the age of 10 and 18. And I realized, as I looked at this whole situation, they were the years that my dad worked shift work here in Gladstone. And when I was asleep, he was awake. When I was awake, he was asleep, and our paths only crossed. But never did we walk the path together for those nine years of my life. And it's not that my dad wasn't a good dad. It wasn't that he was a great... He was a loving dad. he, He was always good to me. But the truth is, we never walked together from the age of 10 to 18. And I found myself spilling over into my 20s and still wanting his affirmation and love. And my identity was wrapped up in that. And I thought, this is not right, especially if I'm ever going to serve the Lord. I need to deal with this. And I did. And you know what? Sometimes I find that those things still come up and I have to stop it and say, no, I don't have to be back in my past. God has got me bigger than that. And I don't have to live trying to please people I want to live please my God. And in the process of pleasing my God, I know that there'll be people who are pleased and there's people who are not going to be pleased. But you know what? That's okay. I don't have to get upset about that as long as my heart is sincere towards serving my God and what he wants and wants us to do, what he wants me to do. So I had to So here's the truth So later in my life I had to forgive and let go and move on because at some point I had to stop referring back to the fact that my dad wasn't around. I had to stop saying I had this problem because my dad wasn't there for me. When am I going to stop doing that? I had to come to draw a line in the sand and say stop blaming your present and future on past. And as I yielded to God, he continued to deal with me, and is continuing to, and I praise God for that. The fact that I can even talk to you about it without problems, without breaking emotion, means the reality of it, I think, it's been a good outcome. And you know, I did seek my dad's love, and even up to his death, I remember just saying, I just would love to hear my dad say to me once, because he never did. And it's not that he wasn't a good dad. He wasn't a terrible dad. I just, was, I, I just said it'd be good once for him to say, I love you. And so I wrote him a card and I said, Dad, I just want you to know I love you. And then in his dying months, I was able to pray with him on the phone. And then, and then in his dying days, I was able to say, Dad, you know I love you. And he said back to me. And, you know, by then it wasn't such a big issue, but it was lovely to hear it. And, you know, we need to realize that here is the grace of God. See, the truth is, will I continue to refer back to that and blame my dad? And the answer to that question is, yes, I will. If I can't see anything bigger than the pain of what happened in my past. But if I can see that God has a bigger plan... That's the best, that's good, isn't it? If I can't see anything but the pain of the past, if I can see something bigger, and if my pain is the biggest thing, that's what we'll, re- we'll, re- we'll continue to default to. But if we can see how God is bigger, that's where we'll default to and say, hey, God is bigger than this. Here's a great verse, we'll finish with this. Philippians chapter 3. Thirteen and fourteen, brethren, I do not count myself. This is Paul speaking to the church in in Philippi, and he says, "I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do: forgetting those things in which are behind, and reaching those things which are ahead, I press towards, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." It says, "Forgetting those things which are behind, you may say to me this morning, it's not easy to forget." I understand, I don't understand all your situations and circumstances, but there's some things that want to come up in my past, and I, they don't want me to forget, don't want me to forget about my mistakes, don't want me to forget about my challenges, don't want me to forget about my fears, don't want me to forget about my grievances, don't want me to forget about what people said about me, don't want me to forget, but I tell you, it just says here, come on, uh, reaching, but listen to what Paul says, here's how you forget. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. If there's nothing ahead for you to reach forward to, you've got no reason to reach forward to. What I want to tell you, there's a reason to reach forward this morning. And when you reach forward, you can forget the past. Paul says, I found out how to go beyond what is behind me. And that is to press towards that which is ahead. To get past the past, you've got to press into the future. To get past that which is behind us, you know, make what is in front of you bigger than what's behind. And that's what God has for us a great future. The upward call, Paul says, it's in Christ Jesus. It's the upward call. In other words, it's God in us, the frailty, the humanity of our life, we're the clay. But I'm glad, it says in Jeremiah, he's the potter. And he molds the clay and he bakes the clay. Often we have to go into the furnace before we come out stronger. Often we need to face some of the fire before we become stronger. Wish it wasn't that way, but it does happen that way sometimes. It's the upward call. Do you know those... Ten brothers were so focused, so focused on their problem, that after 30 years, they couldn't get past the problem. I don't want to hang around for 30 years with the problem. They hadn't resolved it in their hearts. Um, Joseph had resolved the issues in his hearts. He had been badly treated. He had betrayed. He had been unjustly trialed. But he resolved that and he moved on. There's one thing that God wants you to do. He wants you to stand at the foot of Mount Everest, as Sir Edmund Hillary did. And he wants you to look at that mountain and say, you are conquerable. Because you cannot get any bigger, but I can. That's what God wants you to do this morning. Because in 1953, on the 29th of May, Sir Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa called Tenzan, whatever, They conquered Mount Everest and the first two men to stand on the top of that mountain. I want to tell you, God has a mountain He wants you to stand on. He doesn't want you to be under it. He wants you to be over the top of it. Can we stand this morning, church? Can we just come and sincerely before Him? As I said, this morning is not about conquering your problem right here and now but it's just saying father I will I will let you into my life so that you can start the deal with the past that wants to hold me from my future. I will drill down and let you come and say and establish a new identity in in Jesus and not in my past mistakes, not in my past problems. Not in the way I was brought up. I'm not going to establish my identity there in that. I'm going to establish it in you. And if you this morning, because I'm just very aware that it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit as you just yield your heart to Him. If you this morning saying, come on, God, it's you and me. I just willingly acknowledge I need you today. I want you just to raise your hands to Him. I want to include you. You say, include me in this prayer this morning. If that's you, come on. Don't stand there with a stubborn look on your face and say, oh, it's okay. I'll do it. No, do it this morning. Just say, God, here I am. I yield it. And if you don't understand what's causing the problems right now, ask God to show you. God, what is it that causes these attitudes and issues and responses that aren't positive? What is it? What is it, God? I want you just to raise your hand and say, I'll include me in this prayer. So, Heavenly Father, today, I just thank you for your precious people because you love them so much. You want them to be free. You want them to be whole. You want them to walk into all that you have for them. And, Father, today, it's not just my prayer, but it's the heart, our hearts today that join together and say, God, help us. Father, to continue to yield to you so that our past does not affect our future, so we don't spend time walking around the mountain for years and years, but Lord, we get off the merry-go-round, and Father, we walk in the destiny and future and the eternal purpose that you have for us, for for your children, for my life, for my family. Father, I pray and ask that in the name of Jesus, beyond my prayer, Holy Spirit, Bring a revelation of your incredible love and your incredible care. And the the bigger you are, Lord, how big you really are and can be in lives that are here this morning. Father, we pray and ask that in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that you are able to do that because though I can do the possible, you can do the impossible. And I thank you this morning. We yield our hearts, our minds to you, O Lord, and we give our lives to you, O Father. And we ask, Holy Spirit, come. We need you, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, and we give you all the honor and all the praise. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. All things are possible in Christ Jesus. Come on. Let's just give him a praise this morning. Father, we praise you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Father, we pray possible. We pray the possible. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Woo. Come on, let's just sing this song this morning. Oh, oh, yeah.